We continue this morning in our study of the life of David, and if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open with me this morning once again to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We've been several weeks now in our study of this, um, one of the most significant figures in all of Old Testament history, one of the most familiar figures to those even outside of the church, uh, David who kid, killed Goliath, David who became king of Israel, David who committed some terrible sin, which we'll get into next week. I think we have about four or five more weeks in this study of our life of David, just to give you a heads up about where we're headed. I want to begin this morning asking a question. If anyone remembers last week's sermon, you don't have to give me a nod or raise your hand. I'm sure you all remember it with crystal clarity because it was so memorable and powerful. Uh, The name of the sermon, the title of the sermon was The Promise Keeper. The Promise Keeper. Where we looked at and we unpacked Yahweh's covenant with David. A covenant that flowed from the very character and the very nature of who Yahweh is. Who Israel's God is. And so we talked about his stooping presence. We talked about his lavish grace. And we talked about his unstoppable promise. I don't just go all through through those three points to either shame you for not remembering them, nor to toot my own horn, but simply because we're going to return to these as we work through our passage this morning. You see, David heard from the Lord, and and he heard from the Lord in this covenant-making speech that Yahweh gave where, where he stooped, where he lavished his grace, where he communicated this unstoppable promise. And David heard all this, and for those of you who were here last week, what was David's response? He sat. He sat, and he prayed, and he worshiped. He rested in God's work, and, and, and I focused on that because I wanted that to be our response last week, to just rest in the finished work of Yahweh. Well, this morning, as we return to David, we're going to be challenged to follow once again in David's same path. As we turn to what is probably the most endearing scene in the life of of David, maybe one of the most endearing scenes in the entire Old Testament. Let's look and listen at David here. I invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word before we walk through this passage together. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Listen as I read. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not Still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. 
The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is at the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Before we unpack and walk through this story to find out what it has to say for us today, I want to begin by reflecting for just a moment on our relationship with words, with the things that we say. There's a story told of former President Franklin Roosevelt, who in a speech in 1932 or whereabouts preached for restraint in in government spending. As happens to many politicians, four years later he was in a different situation. And he suddenly needed to make a speech praising government spending. And so he went to his counselors and he asked them, what should I do? Give me some advice on how to proceed. And their counsel was very simple. Mr. President, just deny you ever said it. Just deny you ever made this speech. Well, that may have worked in the 1930s. But a simple denial is harder to do in our age, isn't it? In this age of audio and video recording, politicians will still wiggle out of their words, but they have to find more creative ways to do it. It's not just politicians, of course. One of the phrases that we hear often in our day and in our age from those who are in the spotlight, those who are in some celebrity status When they have some regrettable words from their past that resurface, they say stuff like, well, that doesn't reflect who I am. But you said it. 
At some point, it reflected what was in your heart, right? And then, of course, there's not just those who are in the spotlight, but ordinary people. Ordinary people who easily discard marriage vows, for instance, because, well, we're different people now than we were then. You see, our culture says, and we've talked about this before, I remember talking about it specifically when we were studying the book of James, that familiar passage about words. Our culture says that words don't matter. The Bible says, and the Bible shows, that they do. Words have power, the Bible says. They have the power to build up, to transform, and they have the power to tear down. After all, the God that we are in the presence of now, the God that we've come to worship, created the world with words. Words that had immediate effect. Let there be light. And there was. We worship a God who continues to reveal Himself through words. I set our hearts there at the very beginning of even before jumping into this passage because the actions found in this passage are based on words, on words spoken some 15 to 20 years earlier, a promise, a covenant that David had made with his friend Jonathan. Let me read it to you, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Starting in verse 15, Jonathan says to his friend David, Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. And so fast forward to today. Fast forward to our text. Fast forward to this scene of David. David Last week has been shown covenantal love by Yahweh. He's rested in it. He has worshipped God for it. And now, now he has the opportunity to reflect that covenantal love. You see, covenant promises begat covenant obligations, covenant opportunities. And that's what we see this morning in our passage what this wonderful story is here for, I think. It's first, it's a parable of Jesus' love for you and I, mirroring exactly what we saw last week in the character of Yahweh. We must see that. That must be the ground. But secondly, it is an example for us to walk in. And so that's how I want us to digest it this morning as we talk about what exactly is going on here. David sat, and now David seeks. And that's the first of three truths that I want us to meditate on. The first one is this, covenant love seeks. Covenant love seeks. Our passage opens with a question posed by King David. Is 
there's still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Because of these words spoken long ago to a friend, who knows how, how many people even heard those words spoken to Jonathan, Words spoken not just to a friend, but to a house, a son of his enemy, Saul. David is on a mission of kindness. Well, literally, it's more than a mission of kindness. It's a mission of chesed. Is there anyone that I can do chesed to, he says, And you say, oh, there it is again. Nate's bringing up this word chesed. It's in our text a couple more times. Verses 3 and verse 7. But brothers and sisters, you can't get tired of this word. You've got to know this word. If there's one Hebrew word that you've got to know, it is the word chesed. You see, it's a central word in all of the Old Testament. We first hear about it in Yahweh's self-revelation to his people in Exodus 34. He says, abounding, I am a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then he assures his people that his goodness and his chesed will follow them all the days of their life. That's what he says in Psalm 23, verse 6, that familiar psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. God's people praise him for it over and over and over and over again in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And Yahweh calls his people to this same kind of love in Micah 6.8 to do justly, to love chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. We've talked about this before. There's no suitable English word to translate this Hebrew word and the concept and all that's bound up in it. And so our translations, they translate it with a number of words to try to to capture it. Faithfulness, mercy, goodness, loyalty, steadfast love. See, the, the love that David is showing or that he's seeking to show. It's no ordinary love. This is covenant love. This is chesed love. In other words, this isn't contractual love. right? You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's not the relationship here. Nor is it a consumer kind of love. Well, I'll love you. I'll follow through if my needs are met. But if my needs are not met, then I'm gone. It's not contractual love. It's not consumer love. It's covenant love. Listen to this quote. Hesed is love without regard to shifting circumstances, hormones, emotional states, and personal convenience. So David says, is there anyone that I can show Hesed love to? But not just anyone, anyone from the house of Saul. David is looking for an enemy to love. Now let's just stop right there. This 
I want to say this before we go on to next week. This is David at his best. (laughs) This is the high point for David. This is David most accurately reflecting the one who will come from his line. The one who he from time to time gives us glimpse of. This is David most brightly reflecting the heart of Jesus. And so, Ziba, a servant from Saul's house, is found and summoned to stand before the king. And the question is asked again. Notice with further unpacking, who can I show the chesed of God to? Well, Ziba is guarded. Notice how he, he kind of hedges his responses. Well, there, there is a son of Jonathan, he carefully keeps Saul's name out of it. There is a son of Jonathan. Oh, and one more thing, he's crippled. The story of this son of Jonathan's accident is recounted in 2 Samuel 4 very briefly. The short of it is he was dropped at age five by a nurse and maimed. The point of Ziba bringing it up here is, King David, this son of Jonathan, your friend, who's also the grandson of your enemy, he's no threat to you. This was an issue because the common practice in the ancient Near East world was that when a new regime came into power, the name of the game was Purge the Old Regime. Lest anyone from the old family, lest anyone from the old administration rise up and challenge your authority. And we see this in the history of Israel. 1 Kings 15. So Basha killed Jeroboam in the third year of King Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. As soon as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. And then just a chapter later in 1 Kings 16, Zimri returns the favor. When he began to reign, as soon as he had seated himself on the throne, he struck down all of the house of Basha. And so, as Ziba stands before King David, there is some trembling going on. And so Ziba is hedging his statements. He goes on and further says, when asked where is this son of Jonathan, he's in Lo-debar. Literally, that Hebrew, those two Hebrew words mean no word. He's nowhere. Nothing. There's a crippled son living nowhere. David, you don't need to worry about it. But David wants to see him because that's what covenant love does. It seeks out. It seeks even its enemies. Romans 5, verse 8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, enemies of our King, Christ died for us. See, the first thing you need to see is that this is us. This mysterious son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul. We are crippled enemies of the Lord who have been sought out and who have been loved.
And so, like we did last week, we sit and we rest and we worship the God who would do that. And we are called to be Davids as well. Givers of that grace that we have received. How are we going to do that this morning? Let's just stop right here. I mean, the challenge for us, I don't think, is simply to be men and women of our word, though we ought to be men and women of our word, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. But also, maybe we ought to ask the question, how and where can I show love? I mean, maybe it'll fall in your lap. Maybe God wants you to seek it out. And of course, it's not an it. It's a, it's a them, right? Love expresses itself in relationship. Covenant love re- expresses itself in relationship. And we have an opportunity. We've always had an opportunity But particularly now in these polarized times when the so-called proverbial aisle is, is a mile wide and a mile high, what if we made a point of crossing those barriers? Beginning in the family of God, yes. But it need not stay there. Right? Jesus said, As you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Covenant love seeks. That's the first thing for us to meditate on this morning. The second is this. Covenant love is extravagant. Covenant love is extravagant. Parents, love between our kids is often dutiful, isn't it? And nothing more than duty. I remember giving two ice creams to an unnamed Hitchcock kid and asking them to bring one of them to their sibling. And the whole time the servings are getting scrutinized for size in order to determine the smaller one that would go to the sibling. Our love is no different. I examine ice cream sizes too. Just the minimum. Tell me just the minimum that I need to do, and I'll do it. David shows us this morning, as Yahweh proclaimed last week, that covenant love lavishes. You see, what David does here for the son of Jonathan is so much more than what was required of him. It was well beyond what was promised to Jonathan. So jumping back into our story, now finally the son of Jonathan stands before King David and his name is revealed, Mephibosheth. And and if Ziba was fearful, how much more is Mephibosheth? He falls to his face. And he exclaims, I am your servant. And David, notice, says, 
You don't need to fear. I've called you here for blessing. I haven't called you here for payment. I haven't called you here for punishment. And verse 7 is the hinge of the passage. I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. The floodgates of grace open for this enemy couple of things I want you to notice about it, but beyond it's, it's just mere extravagance. First of all, this love is personal. It's personal. As David, David calls him by name. His name is actually prominent from here on out. It's mentioned seven times in this passage. David makes it front and center as he cries out, Mephibosheth, you're here. I see you, I know you, and I'm for you. You see, David is not blindly checking a box. He didn't send someone else to do this, to fulfill the obligation that he had made years earlier with Jonathan. He has a man, he is a man who has basked himself in covenant love and he's transformed. That vertical love has taken horizontal shape with David. It's a love that's personal. And it's also a love that's proximate. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's close. <laughs> it, it, it gets in the way and it, it stays there. Right? He doesn't bring Mephibosheth in and, and tell him, I'm giving you all this stuff. I'm giving you your land back and go. But he says, no, you're going to eat at my table. Forever. I want you by me for the rest of your life. John 1, 16, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. John 13, Jesus says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's easy to write checks. It's harder to show up. Our consumerism conditions us to keep score, but grace invites us to free, lavish, extravagant love. That's the second thing I want us to focus. And the last is this, and we'll end here. Covenant love endures. Covenant love endures. Now you see how the three points of today mirror the three realities of last week about who Yahweh is and what His character is. Verse 7, you shall eat at my table always. And we ask, what happens to Mephibosheth? After David takes him in, protects him, and provides for him, and gives him a seat at his table forever. Well, verse 13 tells us he always ate at the king's table. And as a result, he, he thrives. He has a son of his own. The promise will be fulfilled. The house of Saul and Jonathan will continue. Going back to the disposable nature of our words so often, so it is with our relationships as well, right? If it's not working for me, I'll move on. But covenant love is different. 
Covenant love limits our options. It limits our freedom. Well, that's un-American, Nate. Limiting our freedom. No, covenant love limits our freedom, but in the limitations that are placed upon us, that's where true freedom is found because we're walking as Christ walked. We're walking as Christ calls us to walk. It's the paradox of it all. David forever makes Mephibosheth part of his family. But it goes even beyond that. It goes even beyond what we can see in our passage this morning. If we were to jump forward a couple chapters in the life of David, there is an account that And these two same men are found here. Ziba and Mephibosheth. And about the time where Absalom, David's son, is rebelling, it's a stressful time for David trying to find out who is for him and who is against him. Both of these men, they give conflicting stories to David. We don't have time to unpack it all, but they give conflicting stories to David. One of them is lying. And David first believes Ziba, and then when he hears from Mephibosheth, he actually is persuaded by Mephibosheth. But the amazing thing about this account in the life of David, which is still to come, is that the Bible never resolves it. David never gets to the bottom of it. He never figures out who was lying, who was trying to deceive him. But instead, he lets both men back into his house. Both men back into his favor. And here's what one commentator says about that reality. He says, he, that is David, doesn't have to know. He persists in his love of Mephibosheth. David in weakness, his kingdom in fragments about him, is as strong as ever in love. And here's the key sentence. This is love with covenant steel in it to keep it steady, persistent, and committed. Covenant love endures. This is the kind of love that we've been shown in Jesus. A man who is a man of His Word. A man who is the Word. The Word incarnate. The One who has loved us with a love that is not fickle, but is faithful. Faithful to the end. Well, brothers and sisters, you think about this passage, you think about this challenge of covenant love, seeking, lavishing, enduring. And I know like me, you feel inadequate to display that. And certainly we are inadequate to display that perfectly. But the Bible still holds it before us and calls us, reminds us that we are Mephibosheths and calls us to strive with all the grace God gives to be David's as well. Covenant love doesn't necessarily wait for it to show up on its own. Covenant love doesn't keep an eye on 
the minimums or what's the score? Covenant love is in it for the long haul. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this beautiful story out of the life of David. We thank You for the ways that David, Your servant, reflects here the heart of Christ in in such a beautiful way. Father, we want to, before a watching world, reflect that heart as well. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that You would take Your Word, that You would plant it deep in our hearts, that it would change us, that it would move us, that it would cause us to think differently about the relationships that are in our lives, maybe the relationships that we need to seek out and make a part of our lives. O Spirit of God, show us the way and give us the grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.